2: Welcome! Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. The weekend is almost here. Aren't you excited? I am. Uh, I'm also excited because I can guarantee you today's show will be the best show of the week. I can guarantee it. I can feel it in my bones. I I, I love the topic. I lo- yeah, I love the topic because I I love where... I'm going to take this conversation, and where we're going to take this conversation. TJ Mo is back with me in studio. As we love to do, let's give TJ a round of Thank applause. You. He's here in studio with me. Uh, Royce White is on deck. Steve Kim is on deck as well. Uh, we're going to talk some more about Ja Morant today, and he did an interview yesterday with uh, Jalen Rose uh, that we need to explore and unpack. And I'm glad Royce and Steve Kim. Uh, are able to circle back with us, particularly Royce, because I I think this really plays well for Royce. Let me take care of my best friend and uh, the organization that has given me and the show a purpose in life, Preborn. You guys know I love Preborn, and you guys know what our mission here is at Fearless, and it's to adopt a mindset that understands that life begins in the womb. You guys have watched me on this show, learned from the contributors that we have on the show. And Royce White was the first person that ever said to me that I heard that, like, if you don't understand that life begins at the womb, in, inside the womb, it pollutes the rest of your mindset and outlook on life. And, and when Royce said that the first time, I really didn't get it. And then I met Dan Steiner and the people at Preborn and had conversations with them. And, and it's not, I was always pro-life, but once you get deep off into it and start to understand it, then what Roy said made sense to me, complete and total sense. And, and I started going like, yeah, how can the people that think life begins after birth be more knowledgeable and wise about life than the people who understand life begins inside the womb, because so much that goes on inside the womb impacts the person that comes out of the womb. And so as part of our mission here at Fearless, and I'm thrilled and excited that so many of you have joined me on this journey and have supported Preborn, but this is the the beginning, the, the alpha of the fearless mindset understanding life has to be protected inside the womb and that life begins inside the womb. No one does that better than pre-born. pre-born. provides pregnant women with ultrasounds that introduce them to their child in the womb, their heartbeat, their image. Once a woman sees that baby in the womb, she's far more likely to choose life if she's contemplating abortion. Preborn has saved nearly 250,000 babies in the existence of pre-born this year as a partnership with the blaze and in our show We want to be responsible for 50,000 blaze babies 50,000 fearless babies and the way that we do that Is by supporting preborn.com Slash Jason or hit pound two five zero and say the keyword baby. This is our mission guys I now, and, and I had someone send me an email this week and say, "You know, I really don't like talking about my charitable giving, but because you asked, Jason, and because you love getting these emails, I'm going to send it to you and let you know uh, that I did give and what I gave." And and I'm in total agreement with that mindset as it relates to most charity, but preborn's a little bit different. This is about sharing with people that you have the right mindset and approach to life. It's about bearing witness because the people that understand that life begins in the womb are, are the people that are bearing witness to the power that Jesus knew you in the womb. There's a big debate in this country about where life begins. This has been settled by scripture, by God. It begins inside the womb where God knew you and made you. And supporting preborn. That's our way of letting people know that we have the right mindset. And it, it's not even about letting people know, it's about letting ourselves know and that, and letting that mindset take control of all of our thoughts and making us a better person and a better representation of the power of Jesus Christ. So I need you guys to go to preborn.com slash Jason because I'm sorry, I do want credit uh, for your support of Preborn. And I want you to send me your emails telling me about... Your gift to preborn, and and how it made you feel, and and why you did it. Love getting those emails. That will always get a response to me. If you sent me an email about your gift to preborn and you have not heard back from me, send it again. I just accidentally overlooked it. But I make it a point. If preborn's in that subject line, I'm gonna respond. If you want to trick me into reading your email, put preborn in the subject line. (laughs) It'll guarantee I'm gonna click. That's. Show at gmail.com. I love pre why It's hard for me. I could just do the whole show on pre-born. I'd be here for an hour, and we, could, we wouldn't get to you know, the topic that I want to discuss. And so let's, let's discuss, because I don't want to keep Royce waiting forever. But let's, let me get into—it uh, is going to take a little bit of time just to unpack this and get you guys up to speed. But <clears throat> John Morant, the NBA player that uh, was flashing a gun inside a Denver strip club, Uh, Last night he did an interview uh, with ESPN. Adam Silver and the NBA announced their eight-game suspension. John Moran, I think, has already set out six games somewhat voluntarily. Those will count towards the eight-game suspension. Adam Silver issued a statement basically, you know, talking about how irresponsible and reckless behavior was. And then I saw on NBA Countdown, on the NBA pregame show, with uh, Stephen A. Smith and Jalen Rose and Mike Wilbon and Mike Greenberg, I think Agent Wardanowski was on there last night as well. But I saw an excerpt from the interview, and that's <clears throat> when it hit me like, this this, this don't feel right. This, this doesn't. This is starting to feel like a movie to me. How quickly this thing is wrapping up. And then we got this little happy ending and Ja went to counseling and now he's coming back to the NBA and, you know, this all just happened boom, 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 boom. But just for context, I want to play, I think, the entire four minute interview that uh, Ja Morant gave Jalen Rose. So let's start there and take a listen to, I think they didn't end up playing this full four minutes of the interview until Scott Van Pelt's show later on ESPN. Let's watch this, and then I'm going to give you a little bit more context. You met with Adam Silver today,
3: and he suspended you for eight games. What was that meeting like?
4: It was good, pretty much, you know, open discussion, obviously, you know, he said things, you know, I need to, you know, be better at, but, you know, more of just, you know, showing his support towards me, and I accepted that, and, you know, I also, you know, sent my apologies, you know, to everybody, you know, the league, you know, myself, my teammates, my family for, you know, putting that negativity towards all of us with a, you know, bad decision. Tough loss at Denver, you at the spot,
3: shirt off, what were you... Thinking and feeling at that moment when you decided to go live.
4: Pretty much just trying to be free, use that as an escape, which I shouldn't have. Um, and I feel like that's the reason, you know, I made many, you know, bad decisions, you know, in my past, um, which doesn't describe Jai as a person. You know, I'm a totally different person, you know, than what's been shown, you know, in the media.
3: For you at that moment, what were you thinking, and whose gun were you holding
4: I was felt like you know I was releasing stress, and I felt like it was healthy for me, and, which it wasn't, and that caused me to do some things that you know I shouldn't have you know, the gun wasn't mine um, you know, I, it's not who I am I don't condone in you know, any type of violence, um, but I take you know full responsibility you know for my actions I and mean, I can see uh, the image, you know, that I painted, you know, over myself, you know, with my recent mistakes. But, you know, in the future, um, I'm going to show everybody who Ja really is. There was the incident allegedly
3: after the Pacers game, and somebody was allegedly pointing a red dot at some of their personnel. Can you shed light and what happened after that game?
4: Majority of the things, you know, that's happened in the past. Obviously, you know, I kind of put myself into Um, by even being there, you know, the NBA investigated, you know, everything thoroughly and you know, found no evidence of, uh, anything
3: and another incident that allegedly happened at the mall with your mom. What can you say about what happened with that situation?
4: You know, I got a call, um, I went to, you know, make sure my mom was safe. You know, that's my lifeline, you know, that's who birthed me. So, um. I went to make sure she was safe. You know, once I realized that, you know, I left the scene. And then there's a
3: situation that potentially happened with your sister surrounding a volleyball game. Can you shed some light into what took place in that scenario? That's
4: my baby sister, you know, I received a call and, you know, was checking on her safety. Um, Another situation where, you know, once I found out she was safe, you know, I left the scene. Obviously, I realized Josh showed up. And, you know, that's all everybody, you know, really needed to, you know, paint whatever, you know, picture they want. And um, I realize now that's a problem. And, you know, I put myself in, you know, those situations. What were you doing these
3: last 10 days and what did it teach you about yourself?
4: Just learning, you know, I can open up. I can express my feelings, and that it's you know okay to be able to express your feelings. So you know I was constantly you know talking to therapists. I've been doing you know reiki treatment. Um, I've been doing anxiety breathing, you know different stuff to you know help me manage that and release you know all that stuff from my body.
3: What has it been like for you to see people criticize your inner circle?
4: What have you learned about how you should move with your team going forward? I feel like in the past we didn't we didn't know what was at stake. And now, you know, finally me having that time to, you know, realize everything, have that time alone. I realize that now. I realize, you know, what I have to lose. I can't wait to be back out there on the floor now, you know, knowing what my punishment is. And, you know, I accept that and, you know, I feel like I deserve, you know, that punishment for, you know, my mistakes and, you know, what I did. But when I get back out there, you know, I'm going to be ready to go and ready, you know, push for a ring.
2: So I watched that last night, and, and and I just my mind just started going places as it tends to do, and I thought of the movie Hustle and Flow. Hustle and Flow is a movie about Memphis, a pimp turned rapper, uh, who who at the end of the movie he's in jail doing 11 months, but the radio is starting to play his rap song and and. Yeah, it's about Memphis, where Ja plays, and the songs from from that movie. Uh, it, it's it's hard out here for a pimp, I think, is one of the songs. Whoop that trick that we talked about earlier, part of the part of the uh, movie, and and I'm just like, we're the NBA is doing its version of hustle and logo. This is a remake of or the sequel to Hustle and Flow, this all feels very inorganic to me, very controlled and manipulated. It feels very Hollywood. Hustle and Flow, that movie, really canonized, normalized, popularized this whole uh, motif. I'll take a word from Royce, and I did in my column today. Motif of, of, from crime to rap, to riches. And that's been popularized, where a lot of young black men think that's the American dream, crime to rap to riches. And this feels like the NBA's version of that, that this is part of a marketing campaign of Ja Morant and the NBA, and and someone to replace 38-year-old LeBron James who just doesn't sell the way that he used to. This feels inauthentic, all of it. The guy spent a couple of days at a counseling program, getting happy Ricky and Tantra happy endings. I mean, I know what Reiki is. It's, a, it's some kind of energy thing, hands over. Th- this is what this man is talking This man's carrying a gun and flashing a gun at a strip club, has all these other problems. And they ask him about counseling. He said, well, I, I've done some Reiki and some anxiety breathing. And, you know, I did this again. It was announced on Monday that he was into counseling. And it's Wednesday, and he's out of counseling and headed back to the NBA. This just doesn't feel real. This feels cinematic. This feels like Hustle & Logo. I I, want to stop there because I want to invite Royce into the conversation and TJ Moe and just get you all's reaction, Royce starting with you, uh, to the interview last night on ESPN with Job Morant. What, what did you think?
0: Well, well, let me start with this. <clears throat> uh, I want to give the, the, the backdrop of, of, of today. And, and I'll read a quote again, and I know I've read it before, but I'm going to start here just to get us going. We'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. It's William Casey, director of the CIA, former director of the CIA, on the record. And I only bring that up to say there's a reason why the NBA has remained the focus of the American public and of the mainstream media industrial complex. It's not by accident that this story is happening. It's not by accident that any of these stories take place the way they do. And what we, the American people, fail to realize is these people are master marketers. The ability to use a mental health narrative in a situation when it's advantageous but not really service to human condition was laid 10 years ago when I was in the NBA and. Myself and Adam and David Stern have the had these conversations and I said that mental health would be used this way and Adrian Wojnarowski said all oh, this young man is lost and confused and here we are. I'm not Negro Domus, but I'm just saying, um, I love Jalen Rose. I hope that's not a tangent. I love Jalen Rose. I really do. Uh, I know him personally. I think he's a good guy. But that interview was absolutely disgusting. It was disgusting in every way. And here's why. Um, we're looking at a young man who is at the center of a CIA disinformation program that's been run on the wider spread culture of black America for 60 odd some years. And when I hear him talk, I feel for him personally, deeply as a as an athlete, as a young man who came up through that charnel house, who was conditioned in a similar way. I feel for him. I really, really do. And I'm, I'm going to continue to pray for him. But we're looking at the result of. Young black men who are bankrupt spiritually, philosophically, intellectually. That's what I'm looking at. And what I'm looking at is a young man who's been put at the center of millions of eyeballs and forced to make decisions under that microscope with that philosophical, spiritual, and intellectual bankruptcy. And all he's doing in the interview is trying to get himself to the next, the next iteration of the scam. And Jalen knows better. And if Jalen's out there somewhere and he sees this, you know better. I don't know why you would allow ESPN to march you out there, to fly you out there to wherever this young man is and, and conduct this sort of uh, fluff, uh, damage control, PR, uh, scam interview. But it's, it's just not genuine. And Jalen, for the most part, I think is a genuine dude, one of the more genuine guys in media. But that wasn't genuine because the real conversation we should be having right now around Ja Moran is, number one, the boy does need a gun. And I thought about this after our last conversation and I was able to reflect a little. The boy needs a gun. The young man needs a gun. How many basketball, how many young black successful, successful by material standards, young black basketball players, rappers, comedians, celebrities. How many young black celebrities have fallen victim to gun violence, robbed, shot and killed by other young black men in, in recent years? In the rap business, it happens every other week. So the young man needs a gun. And I understand him saying, look, my mom, my young black men like John ja Morant, especially who want to be involved in the lifestyle he does, which is his own culpability, no doubt. But he needs a gun. The question is, why is he lashing out the way that he is? Why does he feel the need to promote and, 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 and brand himself the way that he does? I think it's a cry out for help. I think the whole thing is an, a genuine cry out for help from within the machine. Now, how the people around John ja Morant want to use it To push their own agenda is a different story entirely. But I see a young man that is like many young black men in this country that cry out for help, but they don't have the spiritual, philosophical or intellectual uh, uh, building blocks to actually communicate what they're trying to communicate. And that's what John ja Morant really said in that interview. When you read between the lines and you understand the talk about anxiety or, or a young man saying, look, I'm having all these stresses. I want to, I want to, I, I, I learned it's okay to communicate. He learned from some Judeo-Buddhist, vegan cokehead shaman, that communication is, is, is vulnerability. But they didn't go to God. They don't, they don't go to solve the root fundamental problems. And this is the argument that David Stern and I had, Jason. I said, this is the human condition despair, angst, these are emergent qualities of the human condition. They cannot be solved with Judeo-Buddhism. Because what Buddhism tries to do is say that once you put your life in order with your actions, then everything will be okay, but that's not true. When you get deep enough, beyond everything you do in a day, what you eat, how you work out, your meditative, once you get through all of that, you still have to deal with despair. There's still a despair to human existence. And that's what they won't give him because they want him to stay focused on the worldly and radical materialism. That's the whole scam being run here, and it's much, much deeper than Ja Moran. Much deeper.
2: Royce, you said something very important in terms of he doesn't know how to communicate his frustration because as a super talented basketball player— He's he's never been focused, or no one has ever made him focus on his intellectual development, and so they put him on a platform and ask him to be a spokesman for this, be a role. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know how to communicate. So he's frustrated, and and I I, I do think you're right. I see it with a lot. Of, I see it with LeBron James. He still can barely communicate, and and you know the media pretends and acts like he's some well-spoken, thoughtful. No, he's not, and he knows it. And 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 many of them. Aren't and and I feel sorry for him but you're right because the other point I'm just want to finish your point is you're right as an american citizen and as someone if you go look at the data and the stats across the country but in memphis in particular his life is in jeopardy and it's Absolutely. not the police it it, it it's his peers and what someone needs, not only do they need to teach this guy how to articulate and be thoughtful and well-spoken, but someone needs to tell him, teach him about gun responsibility and how to be a responsible gun owner. Because there are a lot of 23-year-olds who have been raised to deal with and handle a gun responsibly and would never think... You know, I'm going into this strip club, and I'm going to pull out a gun while I do a live stream. They just know, like, that's that's what idiots do. That's what people that want to go to jail do. That's what people do that want to get shot. Absolutely. <laughs> because anybody a responsible gun owner is like, no, when I pull this thing out, that means there's some real jeopardy, and I'm prepared to pull this but, trigger. But, but,
0: but, Jason, let me... It, it, let, it, let, it,
2: let, let
0: let let, let, let me t- let me talk about the psychology of the whole deal. And let's use basketball as an example. You know, I coach some young high school kids or I help coach at at my uh, former high school, my alma mater, and then my son's team is coming up. And when you talk about uh, a behavior and what behavior can signal, what you can infer from behavior, uh, it's not nothing. It's not that psychology doesn't give us great indicators. And I'll give you a perfect example. If I'm a young kid and I have this overly emotional response in a game, maybe I'm an angry child. Maybe I have, you know, trauma that I'm dealing with, but maybe I just want out of the game. And that's what I tell my young players all the time. When I see you throwing a tantrum, when I see you respond and get a technical and it, it has no real gravity or doesn't make any sense, I start to think to myself, maybe you just want it out of the game. Maybe the pressure's too much for you. And there's a lot of young players that are hyper-talented, hyper-skilled to have all the world in front of them from our lens, but they are dealing with things that are really just too much for them and they want out. That's what we have seen become the norm for young black men. Across this country, we are dealing with a lot of different things. We are dealing with uh, mostly Democrat policies that are hidden from our intellectual landscape and purview that in, come down to bear on us economically, socially, and otherwise. And we don't really quite understand it, so we feel this sense of of, of, of being lost, and we, don't, we can't quite identify it, so we can't get our bearings, and, and that'll cause resentment, and frustration and anger, and anger turns to violence. But what you're saying is when you are a young man living in a town that is full of crime, full of this black-on-black violence. When you go to a strip club and you leave the entire club filled with money, you want out. You're putting yourself in the line of fire. I mean, it's like walking up to the edge and you see the cliff, and you, and you know, we all know that sensation. Part of you says to jump. That's the temptation of the devil. Well, you're on a self-destructive path anyway. You're in a self-destructive environment. You might as well expedite it. You might as well hasten it. And and that's what John Moran is doing, and I feel bad for him because the, the other truth that that the Jalen Roses won't come out and say in the interview is that the entire anti-Jewish elite establishment has built a business on him being self-destructive, and we all know it. Everybody's scared to say it. They don't want to say it. Jalen don't want to say it. My boy, uh, you know, Kendrick Perkins, he's sellout. He don't want to say it. None of them want to say it. We've built a business, a very lucrative business, both financially and as a distraction from the war in Ukraine on young black men being self-destructive. And we all like to sit back and watch. That was the world star phenomenon, a world star, world star. We all like to see young black men self-destruct. And we built a very sophisticated system on top of that. And as, and, and with that being said, a lot of young black men have right to be angry, but they don't know who they should be angry with. They end up being angry with each other. And I feel bad for us.
2: T.J., I want you to jump in here, but I, I want to buttress one more point that Royce just said and turn away. He's holding up these Democratic policies, and it, and it made me think about—and put put Royce back on screen because I do want his brief reaction either facially, or just, but I do want T.J. to jump in here. When you can't read and you're reliant on what you're told, that's how you become a puppet. That, that's why— I sound crazy, and Roy sounds crazy to some black people and to some black athletes. You can't read. I don't have to rely on what somebody told me. I don't have to go to Twitter and go, oh, that's what this popular person on Twitter said. I can read and discern for myself. I don't need the Clintons. I don't need Obama. I don't need Biden. I don't need Donald Trump to tell me anything. Because I can read and discern for myself. And I look at a lot of these young athletes, and I look at LeBron always on page one of every book that he ever pretends to read, and he's helpless. And so all he can do is what he's told to do. And they're puppets. And then all the people on Twitter love the puppets. And, and like, oh, look, look at the puppets. This man can barely discern anything. He can only do what they tell him to do. And then they look at someone like myself or Royce who can think for themselves, research for themselves, discern for themselves, and call BS on, now nah, you obviously playing a game here, bro. Y- y'all done put a movie together, hustle and flow, to 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 preach to black kids, yeah, your path to the American dream is crime rap to riches. And and because I've done my own homework and said, now nah, the data says there's a 90% chance I'm gonna end up dead or in jail if I follow that path. They can hang out, they can put little Wayne or whoever, Jay-Z out here as a little carrot and say, look, you could be there, you could be. They ain't gonna put the young Dolphs and the ninety thousand other bodies that are in jail, dead somewhere, buried—like that's the real outcome. I've done the research. That's why I reject it. So, T.J., if uh, your your thoughts to Jaw's reaction
5: or his interview? <clears throat> well. I'm not a fan of of, uh, Jalen Rose. I I don't know him, but I'm not a fan. I think he's a complete idiot. And so (laughs) they gave him a list of five questions, said, read these verbatim, please. Don't ask any follow-up questions. Don't make him expand. Don't do anything. Ask him about the laser. Ask him about the time with his mom. Ask him the time with his sister. Ask him about the counseling. And then you're done. Get up, walk away. We can all say we did our job. Obviously, that's not how journalism works. That's why I don't like athletes pretending to be journalists. I hate what we've done to media. It's a bunch of former athlete idiots because there are very few smart athletes that get out and know what they're talking about. And then we put them in place where you're trying to a good interviewer could have gotten Ja to tell us a little bit more. But because Jalen didn't ask him anything, he got away saying, yeah, yeah, the NBA that, you know, they did an investigation and concluded nothing was there. I've a follow-up question. Like, did you just, you didn't tell me you didn't do it, so. The main follow-up question, I wanted to know, like, man, you
2: in the strip club, because Jalen just said, I've been to Shotgun Willies, mm. and so have I. Mm. And I'm like, you in Shotgun Willies, and you pulling out a gun. Were you drunk? That's a legitimate question. Absolutely. They serve alcohol. Were you high? I know a lot of the NBA players
5: love weed. Were you high, bro? He looked high. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I thought he was. Yeah. Yeah. Those are just simple follow-up questions. And so I actually think it's Jalen's fault that we don't know more. And it's, you know, Jalen's not smart enough, but whoever gave him the questions, I would like to know more, right? As somebody who's been to counseling for several years, just to get my life together and figure out who I am, what I'm doing, a Christian counselor, you don't go to counseling for a day or two and then everything's all fixed up. Is there an extended program? They, they met with you. Did you that
2: counseling involve Ricky?
5: No, no, sure did no. not, <laughs> did not, but just, it's like we, we, we act, here's where I agree with Royce a lot and as somebody who broke the rules at Missouri having a gun, I had a gun when I was at Mizzou and I had it sitting in my nightstand against the football rules and I said I'll take my chances because I know what I'm doing with a gun and if somebody ever, somebody ever comes into my house and I need it, then I'll have to explain that to Coach Pinkle why there's a dead guy laying on my floor because he broke into my house and he had a gun too. And so I rolled the dice on that. I think I went, look, I followed the law. I was 21 years old. That's what you had to have to have your concealed carry at Mizzou, but I had it when I was on the football team and a bunch of other guys did too. And they, they, we try to act like, oh, this is a gun culture. And along with that, because we only hold mostly athletes to the standard, that's a gun culture. What are you doing with the gun? Why was there a gun in your front seat? Why wouldn't there be a gun in your front seat? Probably shouldn't just be sitting there, but it should be on you, and you should have taken a concealed carry class to get it, and you should go practice with that gun. So if there's ever a moment that arises, you can properly protect yourself because you're equipped to do this, not only with your mind, because you know the law, but also because you put yourself in position, having practice. I I don't like what we've done to athletes. The gun actually, the only reason I'm upset about the gun is because of how he did it and why he was doing it. He was trying to flash it as though he's a gangbanger, right? I wanted that gun on his hip. One, probably shouldn't be at the strip club, right? But just in general, if you're walking around and I see you with the gun on your, on your hip, I am thinking to myself, everybody around you is now safer. Because if you're hiding it and you're not trying to show it to everyone, that means you know what you're doing with that gun. The second you pull out, that means you're probably the guy who's instigating whatever's about to happen next.
2: Go ahead, Royce. I know you're itching to get jumped back here. Well, I mean, to to piggyback
0: off of of TJ's point, they're doing exactly what they have done to Jalen exactly what they are doing to John Moran and many others. And and it's the same thing. Look, we we would like to believe that Jalen is some symbol of um, intellectual, spiritual, and 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 philosophical maturity because he's much older. He's been in the league before, and he's been put in this this position to commentate on sports. And 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 ESPN, they see this is the this is one of those sneaky moves you gotta you gotta pay attention to. ESPN would like to blend sports and politics and culture only when it's advantageous to them, only when they have to answer a public outcry or some something in the headlines, or when they're pushing LGBTQ woke politics. They don't want to address their, their role. I mean, let's think about it. I, I mean, this may be a tangent, but Jason, you tell me what you think. Let's think about an NBA business trying to come down on Ja Morant's decision-making around alcohol when their entire in-stadium business model is based around selling alcohol to NBA fans who are jerk-offs. I mean, let's get right down to it. The NBA business, pro sports, is is built on debauchery. Now, they build it on top of the substantive skill and sacrifice and beauty of a game, a very good game, a brilliant game, one that I love and that I played very well, by the way. And I understand the beauty of the game from the athlete side and the game itself. But what they've built on top of it is the synagogue of Satan. Now, some people won't like me saying that, but it's it's this is what Jesus came back to preach against. And yes, culture does affect the individual. I hate all of our 501c Christians, 501c3 Christians out there who go, "Oh well, it, it's not their fault. Don't blame them. Blame the individual." No, the culture has an impact on the individual. And if it didn't, Jesus wouldn't have came back and said, "All of you guys are 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 blasphemers." He did that because the blasphemers had tried to create a they had tried to create what you would call a, um, a monopoly on the Godhead. They were in the temple and saying, in order to, in order to access God, you got to come through us. And in order to come through us, you got to pay. You got to pay the toll, right? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You guys are running a scam here. So if the NBA wants to come down on Ja Morant or anybody watching wants to come down on Ja Morant, we have to take accountability for the society that we built, that we profit from, that we lust towards, that we have ego in, all of it comes down to bear. And, and if we're not willing to go that deep, then we really don't want to have a different circumstance, whether it's John ja Moran or young Dolph being killed or, or black women uh, wearing their nappy. We don't really want change. We just want to jerk off. And, and I, don't, I don't appreciate that. It, it, it's, it's silly
2: to me. I, I and the reason I, I started with the hustle and flow and this hustle and logo Uh, analogy is is because I I just the sports world sports culture has become so much like Hollywood and I'm going to get into this probably a little bit deeper with with, with Steve Kim but I want to start here with you guys In, in terms of of social media has prioritized content over competition and 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 that's all, Ja Morant is. It's content. He, he's not a human being. He, he, he's not. The NBA is not leaning into competition. They're, they're leaning into narrative, and highlights, and gossip, and debate, and all this content. They're just in a constant deal. Let me feed ESPN and Fox Sports and Twitter and Instagram content. And and sports used to be about. The highest level of competition, that's what they sold. Come see Magic Johnson and and Larry Bird try to destroy each other on the court. They couldn't stand each other, and when they went at it, they went at it. That's not what—LeBron James isn't competing against anybody that's playing right now. Hmm. His whole career, the last decade and a half, has been about uh, competing against the myth and the reality of Michael Jordan, someone who doesn't play, who retired 20, 30 years ago. I can't remember. I can't do the math in my head. But 20 years ago, he's been out of the league. And this whole story is about this narrative arc that, that Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith and Kendrick, they control that narrative. So so the game isn't even on the court. It's 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 in the content machine and and, and content. Is what Hollywood and the music industry have always been about. And they created this whole little negative, satanic, blackmail-driven machine of, you know what the best content is? Black criminality. Come on. And Preach. we're going to put it in music. We're going to put it in TV shows. We're going to put it in movies. And now we're going to make it front and center in our sports leagues, and that's what I see with John Morant. Because again, Jalen Rose is out here interviewing. Jalen Rose was the and Jalen Rose had bragged about it, admitted it. I was just the same kind of idiot as John Morant when I was in the league, and look at me now. ESPN has put me front and center as if somehow my career and my path is the one that everybody should model themselves on. Jalen Rose on TV at bragging like. I was involved in assassination attempts. This man said this on TV. Like he was on the balcony with, with MLK. Yeah. And, and, and he's bragging about It's all narrative. It's all content. It's not about competition. And, and the content, again, is built on a construct that makes us look like freaking idiots with no emotional control. And Jalen is participating in it. And he's the blackest man on TV, and Stephen A. Smith is participating in it. And he's the blackest man on TV. They the righteous brothers. This is, it's, you know, I could have went with the, this is bamboozled on a on a. If you ever saw that movie on on just a, it's a real. They've taken it to the sports world, taking it to real life. Let's. Stephen A. Smith and Jalen Rose had their reaction to the, to the interview. I want to play that just to give the audience a bit more context of, you know, I called, Jay, in my column, I called, if you've seen Hustle & Flow, I called Jalen Black Skinny. Uh, that was a character from the movie Hustle & Flow. He was the rapper that made it, that came back to Memphis. But anyway, uh, let's watch Stephen A. Smith and Jalen Rose. And the, the main thing I got from him is humility. He's a young
3: person, 23 years of age. And this is the best thing that could have happened to him at this point of his life. All of us have been put in positions to where we need to seek help, <laughs> but may not do it. He actually did it. And I could tell that he's going to be a better man because of it and it's going to be a residual effect for the rest of his life. Yeah. So Stephen This a, you,
2: man is spectacular. Let's stop there. He's Hold on, let's stop. 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 I, don't need a- to hear it. I don't need to hear Stephen A. Smith. I don't, I don't need to hear it. <laughs> this, man, this man just said, you know, this is the best thing that happened to him, and based off that interview, he can tell this is, his whole life has changed around and he's going to be a success now. What is Jalen doing? Oh, he's shilling.
0: He's shilling for the security state. You know, he's chilling for the CIA. He doesn't even know it. He's the useful idiot, and and I don't say that to be degrading. I I I really don't, because like I said, I I I do know Jalen, and I and I like Jalen. I think he's trying to he's trying to do what, but but you know, you can't do deals with the devil. And and to go back to your last point, um, and and I think it's a very important point to drive home. Capitalism is an economic system based on competition. And competition, when genuine and fair, is one of the greatest mechanisms in society. And, and we're not talking about crony capitalism. I think a lot of people get the two confused. There's capitalism and then there's crony capitalism. Uh, but, but on the flip side of capitalism, in the anti-capitalist movement, in the Marxist, neoliberal, globalist, anti-God, anti-human movement, you have communism. And what communism would like to do which most of these guys wouldn't even understand or or have any reference to, what communism would like to do is socialize sin. They they think that you want to socialize resources. They think that communism aims to to socialize the distribution of wealth and resources. No, they want to socialize sin. Karl Marx, anti-Jew, communist manifesto, the secular, the socialization of sin. This is the emergence of social media on the back of the upward trajectory of content as the best currency of our time. It's not money. It's attention. The smart man knows that what you can get people to pay attention to makes you powerful, not how much money and, 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 you know, energy or or resource you can extract from them. And that's what, and and these are the, these people are communists, Jalen Rose and Kendrick Perkins. They're working for communists. They don't even realize it. I mean, it's crazy when you know it and you see it and you watch it. It's hard to even to even stomach it, really. I mean, it makes me want to reach out to them, but they, like you said, they think people like us are crazy. But it's right there for. It's like a three-click process. It takes you no time to three-click to figure out the new headline of what's going on between Kanye and Kim, or what Britney Renner just said about what some guy she was sleeping with back in the day, or whatever, whoever it is. It takes three clicks. You, you're great at that. You can't look up the communist manifesto. You don't know who your masters are and therefore you're a slave. If you don't know who your masters are, you're a slave.
2: TJ I want you to respond to this but I I I I I I hate to do it but I I just I got to do it. I I want to <laughs> talk to the audience just for a second. And and just th- this will sound narcissistic and arrogant but but Many of you are sports fans. Many of you are consumers of the media. I hope that you appreciate this conversation that we're having today. Because you're not going to get it anyplace else. And all of it is relevant and real. They can't have this conversation on ESPN or Fox Sports or anywhere. And it's all very relevant and real. You can continue to live in some little false world, false reality, and tune into that garbage and listen to people have dishonest conversations or only talk at a level that they're capable of because they don't like to read and they can't discern. They can only tell you what they've been told to say. And they're not even smart enough to realize that someone's put a battery in their back and told them what to say. They think that that last tweet they saw, or what their agent told them from CAA or wherever, told them to say. They think that oh, that's brilliant, and they think that whoever the agent is that they have partnered up with, who tells them what to think and what to say, well, he's got my back, and he's he's de- he's going to help you get some money. I get it, and and just admit that 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 everything. Uh, that you're about is just about the money. It's not about helping your people. It's not about helping anybody. Mm. It's about representing their point of view and being in support of their game plan that they have concocted, that they, again, I've said they run it in the movie industry, they run it in the music industry, and they brought it to sports. The narrative of black male criminality And irresponsibility. That's the content they're selling. And they're all participating in it for a check. They're the sellouts. This isn't me trying to defend myself or defend this show or Royce. I'm just giving you the facts. And and I say that to say, and this will sound very petty what I'm asking for, but I didn't say it at the top of the show. If we don't get 10,000 likes on this show, when we went this kind of deep, And unpacking a conversation is very dangerous. Anytime you come on any of these shows and talk about what the secular Jays have put together in the movie and music industry, and they're bringing it to the sports world, it's a dangerous conversation. People don't like me because of it. People will call me all kinds of names because of it. There's nothing anti-Semitic about me. I don't like people that don't like God. Period. If you like God, if you're living by that word, I got no problem with you. Some of the greatest people I know are Jewish people that live by that word. But there's some folks out in Hollywood that spit on that word. There's some folks in the NBA that spit on that word, and I'm going to call them out. And this show is going to call him out. TJ, I hate to drop that grenade in your lap, but
5: <laughs> well, I, you don't have
2: to address what I just talked about. Just what, I just want you to hop back in the yeah, conversation. Going
5: back, well, uh, yeah, going back to, 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 to uh, buttress your point, <laughs> I was watching Dave Chappelle before I got on here. And he <laughs> said uh, when he was addressing the Kanye stuff, he said he's realized there are two very dangerous words to put together, and that is the in Jews. Look, um, I'll tell you two things. The content over competition is the first one. when, When we go back through and we say who's the best at every single sport, not one of those people cared anything about social media. The only one you can argue is Tom Brady, and you can also argue that's when things started to fall apart for him. Tom Brady didn't have social media. Started to get it. Look, he st- I think he still won a couple Super Bowls after he got it, but you could tell things were changing for him. His workmanlike, get after it, this is the only way to, to go about it, and how he became the greatest ever was not with content. Michael Jordan, what's, still, what's going to keep him above LeBron James forever is the mystery. I still don't know anything about the guy. The first thing I've seen was that documentary. When was the last time you saw Michael Jordan, a picture that he took in a club somewhere? It'll never happen, right? You can go down the list. Wayne Gretzky, even Tiger Woods. He's not posting pictures about himself. People get him. Uh, TMZ gets him. But if you actually want to be the greatest and you're actually striving to be as good as you can be, those guys focus on the competition. Can you imagine? Michael Jordan left or or allegedly pushed Isaiah Thomas off of the... <laughs> Uh, the greatest team ever Mm -hmm. because of the competition because partially assume because he wouldn't shake his hand after the playoff game that they finally won right it's like there was real competition today in the nfl all i see after the game is guys switching jerseys and taking pictures that's not real competition that's guys who are friends so that's the first thing the second thing i'd tell you is the family unit is what keeps you from buying this nonsense and our Families across America white and black. I mean the, the, the statistics are getting worse every day And we, we always we talk 70 to 80 percent of, of black kids are single mothers But white families are in so much worse shape than they were in the 1960s. I mean, it's like triple quadruple quintuple it's it continues to go up and if you don't have that family unit who's Grounded you and taught you scripture and said this is who you are raise a child up in, in the way that they will go they got nothing to come back to. So right now when something happens to me, I can go to my mom, to my dad, we could talk things out as a family and we say, this is who we are and this is what is best for us. Screw what these guys on TV are saying, screw what the. But we have that unit. Instead of just somebody flying by the sea of their pants and they're like, well, that guy's rich. I could be just like him. It doesn't do you any good. And, and the family unit, it being gone, there's so many of these young, successful black kids. He's 23, and I know Joss, his dad is in the picture because we know with the Shannon Sharp deal, he's been around. Um, but the family unit, as a general rule, disappearing has kept these kids from having the discernment that we want them to have.
2: Royce, I'm gonna give you a final thought. Take as long as you need, uh, and then we're going to move on to Steve Kim. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, well, <clears throat> I'm still fired up. Uh, go ahead. Well, 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 well. I
0: appreciate <laughs> you saying that because we we do all take a certain risk in talking about these most sensitive topics, but they they're necessary and relevant and, and some of them are complex, but some of them aren't really that complex. And and again, uh, you know, I, I've been on the show before and I said, I'm a Jew and why, why do I say this? Do I practice Judaism? No, but Christianity was the evolution of Judaism. Jesus Christ is the most spiritual, uh, the the, mo- the perfected spiritual figure across time in the Hebrew Bible and its ability to survive and the Christian identity being what it is today is a validation of that. Um, so it's, it's not an attack on Jews. And let me be even more specific. Uh, the anti-Jews that I'm speaking about in the NBA or the music business or Hollywood or big tech or Wall Street or a number of other uh, very influent, influential industries, it's not on them. It's not on them. They're they're middlemanning the, they're middle-manning the spiritual bankruptcy that we all harbor. It's not on them. It, it's on us. It's us. It's the black community. We've allowed ourselves to be that slave. We've allowed ourselves to be that sheep. We've allowed ourselves to be used that way. It's not all on them. We can't throw it all in their lap, and 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 even more importantly, it's more on us, <laughs> because at every turn there have been the Kendrick Perkins types who say, "Oh, it's easier to make change from within the machine," and that's the justification they told me. They said, "Oh yeah, young man, you're right about mental health. You're right about the whole thing, the whole corporate community, the whole." Radical material landscape and you're right about what it does to the human mind and a young man's anxiety. You're right about all that. But you can't do nothing if you're not in the machine, if you won't play by the rules. And the scam is that once you're in the machine and you know this, Jason, from being at Fox, they don't have any plans on letting you make any change. That's all the way to keep you on the take, keep you on the come, keep you churning out money. And that's why they'll come down from on high to protect John Moran and move him forward as long as they can make some money off of them. I mean, it's really a, it's really a radical, material slave-type mentality. And what I say is the main three businesses of the crown and, and this entire globalist agenda, and it's the crown too, what I say, the three main businesses are slavery, piracy, and drugs. And in the John Moran story, we see all three. So when I take you from the global down to the local, don't go, oh, it ain't that deep. No, it is that deep. You're not that deep, probably. But the shit that they're doing is definitely that deep. It runs deep. Intergenerational spiritual warfare, it runs deep. This is the sacrificing in the children. It's not, it's not casual. This is why pre-born is important. This is deep. Spiritual warfare, it, it is that deep. It's not simple. And these stories, look, is sports the most important thing in the world? No, God is. But there's a reason why they put sports front and center. And, and the drive towards content, the drive towards uh, radical materialism, propping it up on social media that you can't put down the addiction of it, It's all tied in together. We got to fight these people at all costs.
2: Thank you, Royce. Great job as always. Uh, Listen, this segment, beyond the likes, beyond giving the five-star review on Apple, it's it's why you got to come join us here in Nashville on April fifteenth, April fourteenth and fifteenth, really. we're we're trying to raise up some real men that want to get in this fight in a real way, that want to leave that little fake bubble world that they've built and constructed and, and want to deal with the reality of what we're dealing with. We're in a battle of good versus evil. There is a move against Christianity and Christ. It's not a move against me. It, it it has nothing that that's I, I used to say this all the time when like when Trump was in office. Trump keeps putting himself on the cross, and and he, he's got to humble himself, and and all of us have to humble ourselves. The, the, any, anybody that's under attack, that that stands on anything biblical, they're not out to get you. They're out to get God, up out of the way. And so we're trying to gather up some men here in Nashville that want to be, want to bear witness and want to live in reality and want to do the things necessary to take this culture back from this satanic grip that it's underneath. You got drag queens coming to talk to kids in schools, promoting transgenderism and the mutilation of young kids and keeping secrets from parents. We just can't sit on the sidelines and think it's just gonna go away And that's why I want you here in Nashville with us on April 14th and 15th. I need you to go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Still tickets available. We want you here with us. Steve Kim, we're going to talk some more about this, unpack a bit more of the sports angle of this next. atheist the secular world the culture uses our imperfection our sins to take shut up you you' you can't stand on truth and if all it was was imperfection it eliminated us from standing on truth this would be a very quiet place I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men we know you're imperfect you know you're imperfect God's grace and mercy mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture, and we have to do that.
5: You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12 year old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl. And you're gonna let them make the Bible, hate speech. You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for, I'm telling you. So it's like everybody, That's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The
2: Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the the window
1: sill, you kick the ladder back down let them know you you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying, no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping His disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, He's even praying for us. Now, I I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out.
2: You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your position, And we're going to inspire you. We're going to eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's going to be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're going to put out our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Los Angeles, to Bring in the Korean Cosell. Steve, did you see my Hustle & Flow logo, Hustle & Logo? Did, did, you see, did you get to see that? And I'm wondering if, you know, you're quite the movie buff. You know all the black cult classics. Did you see Hustle and & Flow?
6: And what did you think of my analogy? Well, the analogy is good, but I, I would have gone with CB4. It's MC Gusto Morant. Straight out of low cash, right? <laughs> that, that's, not, that's really what it is. The bourbon huh. kid that thinks he's huh. NWA. And, and, you know, that's kind of more or less what this is. A guy cosplaying. Yeah,
2: yeah you know what? I may have to watch CB4 again. Great movie. Uh, I, Great sometimes movie. I, get, I get CB4 mixed up. Did you, would you like better CB4 or don't be a menace to society while drinking gin and juice
6: in the hood? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's like asking me to compare Jerome Brown to Warren Sapp. It's a tough one. I mean, they both have their <laughs> moments. I mean, this is don't be a menace is one of the funniest things, um, especially with Loke Dog. Loke Dog is one of the funniest <laughs> characters I think I've ever seen on television um, that when he brings out that heat-seeking missile from his mail truck, because a guy wants to do it, like, points the gun at him. He's, oh, you want to go there? That's a great movie. And then you had Grandma. The grandma was hilarious when she's cooking, and she goes, hey, give me some of that S. And there's, like, that little thing that says S on it. Anyway, but, but anyway, back to the show. Back to the show.
2: <laughs> yeah, back to the show. So, Steve, I think, I, I I didn't reference this off top, but, you know, the other day Patrick Beverly came out with a statement basically no. saying it's the music, Ooh. it's it's the culture that's mm. leading some of these young athletes a- astray and and then boom, within hours, the nBA's wrapping this whole thing up like, hey we're not talking about that uh he's been through counseling, we got him some happy ending massages and therapy uh he's all good now. Uh, go back to playing basketball. they don't want to talk about the culture they built inside the NBA. Did you see it the other day let's play the Whoop That Trick, that's from the song Hustle and Flow. They play it inside uh, Grizzlies Arena, uh, FedEx Forum, I think it's called, all the time. It's like their theme song. It comes from that 2005 movie, Hustle and Flow. But, but uh, I, I, let's, let's, play the, let's play them playing Whoop That Trick. Now those are Golden State Warriors players, but they're playing in Memphis. The entire crowd's all into this. What that trick is about beating up a prostitute? Mm. That's what the song's about. And and that's again, like John Morant exists in that culture. Patrick Beverly is talking about like, man, have we gone too far with the music and all that? Anyway, that's a long way of asking, I don't know if the dots even connect. What did you think of Ja Morant's interview last night with Jalen Rose?
6: Okay, look, I I didn't expect Jalen Rose to be Barbara Walters, and God rest her soul, or Brian Gumbel. But just watching that, and again, I don't know if you watched Saturday Night Live when it was still funny about 25, 30 years ago. Remember that one skit called The Chris Farley Show? Where Chris Farley would interview these celebrities and he'd always be starstruck. So every interview, like, hey, uh, do you remember when, like, uh, you know, you pointed that gun on, on Instagram? And Jay, John Moran goes, uh yeah, oh, that was awesome. Wow. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> go on YouTube and put in Chris Farley show. Every interview is like, hey, hey, man, oh, when, when you pointed that laser at that other team's bus, oh, that was pretty cool, man. I mean, that's, I'm just like, OK, I like there was no pushback, <laughs> and I don't understand. I do understand it. But I do want to ask this question. Why wasn't Stephen A. Smith, who theoretically is a trained journalist who has done some pretty good interviews that would be willing to push back? Why was he not given that assignment instead of Jalen Rose, who's trying to act like the counselor of the big brother? Look, I've been in crack houses. I've done all this stuff. Uh, in other words, he's trying to retroactively raise his street, street cred, which is always important, right? I, I did not understand it, but, but that was just one, not a softball, but a slow-pitch softball lobbed at Jay Morant one after another.
2: Stephen A. Smith couldn't get the interview. Jalen Rose's job is to get that interview. That's why they hired him. That's why they hire In broadcasting across the board, all the athletes that have criminal rap sheets are are at the highest level of priority. If you've done stupid things uh, during your career, that's what makes you appealing uh, as it relates to the black athletes. The white athletes need to have crystal clear Uh, past. But as it relates to the black athletes than Jason. They got to have problems. Deshaun Watson will be the hottest commodity on the free agent market when it comes time to start his broadcasting career.
6: You know what? He'll be the (laughs) hottest market.
2: Jamin Rose sat on TV and no one said a word. He basically said, hey, I was on the balcony when uh, MLK got shot. I mean, the guy what said I I've been involved in assassination attempts, and at I really. Hey, which side? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you
6: know what? I'm going to raise you. You you give me a Deshaun Watson on the uh, on the table. I'm going to raise you an OJ Simpson. Let's bring him back. Could you imagine him um, <laughs> interviewing all these guys? Well, you know uh, You pointed a gun at a team bus. One of your so. Allegedly. And then you're in a strip club with all the chicken wins and wonder. Do- Allegedly. That would be hilarious. Now, I would watch that because it's always, it's always refreshing, it always brings a <laughs> smile to my face when I see old Orenthal James pontificate about societal and legal issues on Twitter. I cannot believe that app is still free, basically, but not
5: really. <laughs> it's not free. I got yeah, 11 bucks a month for that.
6: <laughs> yeah, Let for
2: me tracker. move us to a, a more sports related conversation associated with this. And and I, I talked about it with with Royce about the prioritization of content more than competition and that these sports leagues now are, aren't about the game on the field and the promotion of the competition. It's about what content they can provide. And and I was saw an interview with Damian Lillard with J.J. Reddick. Where I thought Dame was really getting at this point from a different angle about how sports have changed, let's let's watch this clip of Dame Lillard, and then I want your reaction. The NBA I play in now
0: is not the NBA that I came into, and I expect it to evolve. Everything is is constantly changing, but like I feel like I play for the love of the game. Like I wanna I want the competition. I want to know what it feels like to win. I want to see my teammates do well. I want to see my teammates get paid. You know, like, I enjoy the uh, the bonding part of it. Like, we spend more time with each other than anybody. But now it's like, that don't count. Regular season don't count. Get a ring. You know what I'm saying? Like, who? This guy's the MVP. This guy did this. He the first. It's like, bro, what? Like, what is this stuff? Like, what is this? You know what I'm saying?
2: Like, Mm. I, I, I think he nails it there that it's like the, they turned the game into about the conversation, not about the competition. That, that, that's what's ruining sports.
6: You know, him and Pat Beverly are, are having an off coat off. I mean, geez, they're going to get a lot of heat, but I saw that clip a day or two ago. And I retweeted it and uh, with the comment, it's too late. The genie's already out of the bottle. And someone mentioned to me, well, he's part of the problem since he does the load management. But again, I don't know if that's his call. But I really respect the fact he's able to at least be very honest about this. And Lillard's a little bit different. He's actually resisted the opportunities or the having the leverage to say, I need out of Portland, I need to get a ring. He kind of considers himself a Portland trailblazer And much like a guy that I'm sure you really respect, Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller once said, I I can't do what these other guys did. I'm a pacer. I'm going to live or die a pacer. If I win a championship here, great. But to cherry pick a ring and to go to a super team, it's something that I would never do. And in my view, I I really absolutely admire that. And I'm glad there's a player in Damon Lillard at his quality because he is a Hall of Fame player that says, you know what? I, I want to play for more pure reasons. And, again, it's not just about the money. I, I think there are guys that actually, like, love the profession. They love the craft. They love the game of basketball. But I, I'm afraid to say I think Dame is really in the minority when it comes to his thought process and philosophy.
2: TJ, I can't uh, – we've talked about so much. I can't, have you commented on the competition versus content?
5: Yeah, just as as it relates to all-time greats. But I, I agree with him – to. The point I loved most about what he said is most of these guys in the league, they'll never be in contention for MVP. There's just a couple and one team wins the championship. And so the rest of you, what are you doing? How how do you not take pride in going out there and playing every single game? You may be the third guy off the bench. You may be the, you know, a starter. But I, I don't ever remember. It killed me to miss games even when I was 10 years old. I just, I never remember thinking, I'll just sit one out, that'll be fine. It's like, that, and, and that's because the competitor in you doesn't allow you to do it. We've trained the, com, the, the competitive spirit out of these people. You know, we, we had these expectations for Michael Jordan, who would be the most competitive person ever, Tom Brady, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, they were so competitive and we have trained it out of them and said, it's actually better for you to sit and have this load management and we'll just make sure that these aren't nationally televised games and you'll sit during those games and we've trained them to say, I know you are competitive, but trust us, this is the best for you.
2: I I think what's happened actually is the competition used to be the reward. Now it's just strictly money is the reward. And so when I go back and think about playing all the way through college, the only reward was game day. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. else, particularly about football, sucked. That's right. That's right. Basketball, you know, you could get some enjoyment out of practice to some degree, scrimmaging and blah blah blah. But the only reward in football was the actual game. Saturdays were awesome. And that
5: was the payoff for That's everything right. you put up with all week. That's right. The and, knowledge that you were better than the guy across from you.
2: Yeah. And and you know on some other team and some other but but so now the reward is the money and it, it it speaks to how materialistic the society has gotten and and so once you give them these contracts and again the young people have no concept of money and the money has gotten to such a level that I don't blame it feels like monopoly money it feels like a guy gets getting paid ten million a year he feels like. <laughs> I'm set for life, mm-hmm. and, and, and the guy that's making 450 450 k thinks in a year or two, I'm going to be making $10 million a year because I'm going to get my break and blah, 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 and, and so it, it's, it's the reward now is totally about at the college level, mm-hmm. at the NFL level, and so when it gets to the college level, now high school kids are thinking about, man, I'm just a year or two away from the reward of the money. And let me make sure I don't do anything to mess up the money. And so I've shown a little talent, let's say basketball, in the, on the AAU summer circuit. My high school regular season's not that important. I'm getting recruited. I'm going to get to my NIL deal. It's already been offered to me when I was 15, 16 years old. I just got to protect that again. They, they the reward no longer is the
5: competition, and so I, I can't blame guys for being less competitive. And so all the lessons have gone out the window too, right? So it's sports were used for the longest time of how you. Properly conduct yourself, and this is why, I mean, even today when I go talk, I, people try to get me into politics all the time. I had, a, I had a GOP consultant reach out to me this week about running for the state senate in Missouri, and what they always say is, former athletes, you guys know how to compete, you guys know how to conduct yourself, always in, in, the, in the workplace, they're always looking for athletes. That's gonna stop, because athletes have been trained out of everything that employers wanna see their guys to do. It, it, I do agree with you, it was, I would, Quinn Ewers, Skipped his senior year, number one recruit at at a school that my my wife went to that high school. Just decided to sit out because he was getting a big check from Ohio State. By the way, didn't work out at Ohio State. Probably not going to work out at Texas now because the youngest Manning's going there. So you, you forwent, if that's a word, your ability to try to go win a state championship at a powerhouse in Texas where the city shuts down. I mean, this is, if you've ever been to Texas on a Friday night, you can't go into a gas station because they're at the game, right? And you decided that wasn't for you for what? What money? Maybe you got some money, you're going to have to go. At some point, if you don't make it, you're going to be an accountant somewhere. You're going to be a labor worker somewhere. Who knows? And all of the lessons you were supposed to win about taking care of your teammates and being a leader, it all went out the window because somebody said, you'll probably get some money at some point someday by playing this game, so don't you dare do anything that could possibly stop that. Steve,
6: hop back in here. Yeah, it just reminds me of Michael Jordan in his second year. It was one of the chapters of The Last Dance. Uh, He misses 63 games after breaking his foot in Golden State game number three. And he basically said at the end, I'm going to play basketball here. In fact, he actually had a clause put into his contract moving forward called the love of the game clause. He told the Chicago Bulls, look, guys, if I'm healthy enough to play, I'm going to play basketball anytime I can. Whether it's a pickup game in Chapel Hill, whether it's a charity basketball game in the summer for Magic Johnson. But we are going to play to win the game here, as Herman Edwards once said. Okay? We play to win the game. And I just love the fact he actually told the Bulls organization, and this is in his second year, because you know, he's a young player. He's got his whole career and life in front of him. He said, no, 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 no. We are making the playoffs, and if we don't try to make the playoffs, I'm leaving you guys. Let's make that clear we are setting the tone. I don't see that anymore. I truly believe this. And I know I'm being incredibly cynical and acting like Clint Eastwood's uh, character, that old guy, that was really grouchy, right? Whatever his name was. But I really think there are a group of players they care more about how they dress to the game and getting shot on the runway into the locker room than the actual game. I know people think that's far-fetched, but they put a lot of time and effort into wearing those tacky clothes from Salvation Army or whatever. But they don't – I don't even think they care about the actual wins or losses. But as long as they're on camera and they go viral and they get the brand, whatever, clothing company, that to them is what really matters to some of these guys.
2: I think you're right. Uh, I don't know if I'm forcing this point, but I've been wanting to make it for a couple of weeks, and, and so I'm going to force it here. It's, a lot of this has to go along with uh, the drug culture that's associated with the NBA mm. and rap music, and and we've we you know marijuana no big deal. It's the greatest thing in the world. Blah blah blah. And and, and what we're really looking at in the with the NBA. it's more true now than it was in the 1970s when the NBA had this reputation as a cocaine league and the players are all drugged up and the quality of play is no good. That's true now. Maybe the drug isn't cocaine, but trust me, there's players using cocaine. But this weed that they have, because anybody that you guys probably don't know anything about this, but like weed now as opposed to what it was in the 70s and 80s, the chemicals they've laced it with, the way they grow it and manufacture it, it's so much more potent and addictive than the old marijuana that that I believe we're looking at an NBA that's really the 1970s NBA. Everybody's just high. And, and, you know, I I don't want to... Some of the people we've... Talked about on today's show. I I know, like stay high twenty four seven. They 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 played their whole time in the career uh, in the, in the NBA high as a kite. <laughs> uh, you know, I I've been around them. Love to get high. I, uh, I, I don't want to go to. I don't want to call like I don't want to be snitching or whatever. Well, I can tell you from a
5: fan's perspective, Jalen Rose always looks high. <laughs> Every time I see him, I'm like, that ain't talk. speculation. So,
2: but, but, but oh. that's I, I, Steve. I just think it's a, it's a story no one wants to talk about. This league is high as a kite, and that's why no yeah. one wants to play. Well, what do, what do, you, when you're high, you want to lay around and eat,
6: and, and you ain't trying to compete. You know what I hate are, are these fanagers and these media members who are so afraid to push back because they want access. I, I, first of all, these contracts are guaranteed. It's not like the National Football League. So I don't want to arrest my players. You're, you're scheduled for 82 games. I want you to play at least 80, okay, because you're going to get your money, whether you're getting the league minimum or the max. You're getting all of your money, okay? The thing that bothers me, though, is when people say, oh my God, but there's a road trip and they got to play more than three games in a week. Yeah, how about this, guys? How about not going out to the clubs every single time? How about, get this, guys, how about actually getting to bed on time early and instead of smoking another doobie, taking a nice batch of ZMA, which helps your sleep and recovery. It's amazing that, you know what, because of your poor habits, we're not going to tell you to change your poor habits and be a pro. We're going to actually make you work less while you still get paid. I, I, for the life of me, do not understand how people still pay money to go to NBA games. I really don't because that's a lot of time. It's money. And I'm going to say this again, and I'm being repetitive, but if I was a particular fan of a team and I knew the Golden State Warriors were coming to town, and I don't have that much disposable income, a couple of kids and a family that wants to see Steph Curry, and if all of a sudden I get to that arena and Steph Curry's in street clothes, I'd be like, guys, we're never going to another game. I just personally would never invest in it. It's Russian roulette to a certain degree. Steve,
2: thank you. Great job as always. Uh, we're not going to see you tomorrow. Uh, we got, I already got tomorrow's show in my head We're not going to see you, Steve, for that uh, We will see you tomorrow uh, th- Hold up, before you go You, you, before you go I'm t- Yes, I'm talking to you Hit the likes on your way out the door Thank you, we'll see you tomorrow <laughs> like a
1: standoff, I want freedom no negotiation, my system, no
4: relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on a corner, never been
1: alone. i breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all deceiving, We all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be. I just want, I wanna be. I just want, I wanna be. I just. Want, I wanna be. I just Bye.